Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right. Week number three in a message series from the book of James. Now, if you're new to church or newer to church, when I say the book of James, what I mean is of the 66 distinct literary works that we find in the Bible, one of those distinct works of literature was written by the biological brother of Jesus Christ himself. This guy, James, puts the pen to the paper and writes a letter to believers everywhere. And it's interesting because when we first meet James, James is a skeptic, right? Jesus Christ grew up in a family. He had a family around him. He had a mom and a dad. I mean, technically Joseph was his stepdad, but you see where I'm going with this, right? He grew up in a family, and he had younger brothers and sisters. And so when Jesus made claims to divinity, when Jesus, you know, he spent his first 30 years of his life like a normal person would. He worked in the carpentry shop and had a career and had a family, you know, that he lived with. And so... You know, when he starts to make claims at divinity, when he starts talking about being the son of God, and this, is, this gets really interesting because there might be a few of you here, um, maybe if you're new to church or newer to church, you know, maybe your position is, you know, I love the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' teachings were awesome. That's what I want to learn about. I want to know more about that. And, 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 and that's awesome. And, I, and the truth is, and maybe you've experienced the same thing, in all my years, and all my, my, in all my years of having theological discussions with people, everywhere you go when somebody finds out you're a pastor, they just want to open up a theological discussion with you. In all my years of having, you know, God talks with people, nobody, I, I have never in my life come across a person who took issue with the teachings of Jesus. Jesus, you can't argue with the teachings of Jesus. Love, I mean, love your neighbor, love your enemy, treat others the way you would want to be treated. These are, these are like universal truths. Everyone, everyone gets on board with all of that. And so James and, and Jesus' family didn't necessarily take issue with his teachings, but he started talking about being the Messiah. He started talking about being the Son of God. And if you're new to church or newer to church, uh, you may think, Hey, I'm down with the teachings of Jesus, but I don't believe that other stuff. I don't believe in the miracles. I don't believe uh, in the, I certainly don't necessarily believe in the resurrection, you know, and I don't believe that he claimed to be the son of God. I mean, he, he, could it be that, that all that stuff was ascribed to him later? Could it be that all the resurrection stuff was just a legend that, that was sort of superimposed onto the narrative after the fact? Could that be part of it? If you're new to church or newer to church, maybe that's what you think, and that's totally okay. You would have gotten along great with James. When James first shows up on the scene, he is a skeptic. He doesn't believe his brother. His brother's talking about being the Messiah, and like any good brother would, he's like, if your brother claimed to be God, you would give him a relentless ration of garbage about it, wouldn't you? That's what you would do. You'd, just, you'd, like, you'd make fun of him, and you'd beat him down, and then if you, if you really seemed serious, you'd be like, oh, wait, I'm worried about him. You know, that's what would happen. That's basically what's going on in Jesus' family. They think he's out of his mind. They're sarcastic with him. They're teasing him. They, they don't want any part of this divinity talk. And this divinity talk was what got him killed. Just FYI, short, just little, like, aside, 
for anybody who might just want to embrace the teachings of Jesus but not believe that he claimed to be the son of God, his claim to be the son of God was what got him killed. It was blasphemy that they crucified him for. So James is, James is a skeptic at first. He's sarcastic, he doesn't believe a word of it, but then an interval of time later, James shows up on the scene and writes, he starts writing, and now he's not just a convert, I mean, he's on fire. He full on, fully to the, to the core of his marrow, believes that his older brother was the very son of God. Well, what happened? How did he go from being sarcastic, you know, needling, teasing brother to being, oh, no, no, Jesus acts absolutely is the Messiah. He absolutely is the Son of God incarnate on this earth. What could have happened between point A and point B? Well, I'll give you a hint. It had nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. James didn't wake up someday and one day and go, wow, you know, my brother really was a great philosopher. He really was an amazing teacher. Have you heard what my brother said? Now I believe he's the son of God. That had nothing to do with it. That, in fact, had nothing to do with the spread of Christianity outward from Jerusalem. If you look at, I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to see the history of it. When Christianity explodes outward from Jerusalem and blast wave after blast wave and shock wave after shock wave of this faith starts to move outward in concentric circles, from Jerusalem, it was not the teachings of Jesus. Nobody, nobody took the teachings of Jesus and decided this is going to be a new thing. It was one simple phrase containing three words. He is risen. He rose from the grave. He got up after, he predicted his own death and rose from the dead. That is about the only thing that would convince a person that their brother was the son of God. If your brother claimed to be the son of God, he would basically have to rise from the dead to convince you, wouldn't he? Well, that's what Jesus did. He rose from the dead, and now James is on the scene putting the pen to the paper, and James is writing to believers everywhere, and I'm just going to warn you if you're new, James is on fire, like he is up in everybody's grill. He's just not, he's not happy with some of what he sees in the early church, so he's like, listen, if you're going through trials, if you're suffering, hang in there. Consider it joy. God's going to work in that situation. If, you're, if you claim to be a Christian and you're running your mouth, you, you, your religion is worthless. Like he's saying things like this. It's very like up in your face, and this is where we pick it up. Okay, this is the book of James, chapter 2, verse 2. Here we go. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there, or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? 
but you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. Okay, James hitting them with both barrels right out of the gate. So what's James talking about? What's going on? James is observing the earliest formation of what we now understand to be the church. People are starting to gather. People in numbers now are starting to believe that he rose from the dead. People in numbers are starting to believe that he actually is the son of God. So the church in its earliest forms, like it's just starting to coagulate. There's just starting to be insiders and outsiders. It's the earliest iteration of us and them. The earliest iteration of those who are a part of this thing and those who are not a part of this thing. And those who are a part of this thing have high hopes for it. Those who are a part of this thing, the earliest members of what we now understand to be the church, the earliest members, the earliest part of it, the earliest insider group, wanted the thing, they really believed in it, and they wanted to take off, and being human, they kind of were starting to divide amongst the people they wanted to be a part of the gathering and the, part, the people that they kind of didn't want to be a part of the gathering. So, and you kind of can see where they're coming from, right? You sort of understand if you're just starting a thing and you're sort of, you want to see it take off, they're kind of thinking, well, it would be pretty cool if the people that came to join us in this thing were wealthy. It, it, it also would be kind of cool if they were, you know, like, good looking. Be great if they knew how to accessorize a little bit. You know what would be really cool is if they had some political connections. It'd be great if they had some, some political juice. It'd be great if, if, if they were sort of well-to-do and educated and looked like, you know, successful people. Those are the kinds of people we want to join our thing because very early on, uh, we, 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 it, it sort of could get discredited and become disreputable if it just seems to be a gathering of, like, poorer people and homeless people and broken people, the people that Jesus was constantly gathering unto himself, if it goes like that, we might not, you know, it might not have the trajectory that it could. We might get written off. People won't take us as seriously. So we would like for wealthier, better connected, better accessorized, good-looking people to join the thing. And when they show up, here, have a great seat. And when others show up, mm, you go sit in the back. So James is calling this out. He's like, this is not cool. Membership in this thing, inclusion in the we, the, the, the kingdom, as his brother described it, has nothing to do with financial status or wealth or political connections or physical appearance. This is the gathering of the broken. This is James calling that out. Now, how do we apply that? It's not how you think. The way we apply that is not how you think. Now, you might be thinking, you might be wondering, oh, well, does our church pay attention to, to, to wealth or status? Do we? You, you actually can't take that grid and superimpose it over our church. 
Those words don't apply the way you think they do because by the biblical definition of the word rich, we're all rich. Every one of us is rich according to these definitions. This isn't about a spectrum where it's like wealthier people or less wealthy people, what you have in the 401k versus what you don't have in the 401k, what you drive. We don't know any of that. We don't care about any of that. That's, that, that, that doesn't apply here. We're all rich. I know, I know, I know. You didn't, you didn't walk in here this morning thinking that you're rich, Right? To you, a rich person is a person who lives in a mansion and flies on private jets and, you know, has houses on both coasts and, you know, something like that. But biblically, according to this definition, like, guys, come on, come with me for a minute. Do you live indoors? That's a good start. You got hot and cold running water? Both of those? Nice. Indoor plumbing? Yeah. Uh-huh. Climate control? Yeah. You can make it warmer or cooler. You got extra clothing to wear. You got more than enough clothing to wear. You have enough food to eat. More than enough food to eat. You got some extra money in a dish somewhere, some change in a dish. You're rich, globally speaking. You're breathing rare air, globally speaking. We don't think that because we're just surrounded by other people who are rich, and we think the only people that are rich are the super rich. Well, th- this doesn't talk about the super rich. This talks about wealthy people, which is all of us. Now, I'm not, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure nobody in this room is ever going to starve to death. I don't think any of us are going to starve to death in this room. And if you're hungry, we can help. If you're experiencing food insecurity, we can help. We got you. We could keep you fed. Not a problem. I don't think anybody in this room is ever going to freeze to death. I mean, you want to go die on, like, climb Mount Everest or, Everest or something, that's on you. But on Long Island, I don't think anybody is going to freeze to death. And if you don't have heating oil in your tank over a cold winter, we can help. We got you. Short of that, acknowledge that your needs are met, and that you're rich, globally speaking. So, then how do we apply this verse? Ooh, you're not going to like it. You're not going to like this. Ready? Who is the people group or person that you hope never shows up to true north? Who is the person or group of people that you hope never shows up here? To you, they are the them. They are other. They are the outsider. How would you treat that person if they showed up to church? Let's illustrate. Suppose someone comes into your assembly wearing a Joe Biden t-shirt. And another comes into your assembly wearing a red Make America Great Again hat. And you say to the person in the Biden t-shirt, you have a lovely seat right up front. And you say to the person in in the Donald Trump hat, you go sit back over there. Have you not distinguished among yourselves? And have you not shown favoritism? And have you not broken the law? 
Yeah, and don't read into what priority I gave those two things in the narrative. What I'm saying is, to you, there's a group of people to you that are other. They're different. They're outside. They're not a part of the we in your mind. They're out there, and you want them to stay out there. So you hope the other, the them, the they, never shows up here to pollute what you're a part of. And that could be, fill in the blank on what person or people group that might be for you. You've named them as other, you've named them as outsider, and you kind of hope they never show up. This is James going, what would you do if they walked into church right now, and how would you treat them? Because that's the mark of whether or not you're following my brother. This is hard. This is hard teaching. This is the word of God. Next verse. For the person, oh, so, oh hang on. Back, back to verse nine. If you, I should have rearranged the, the slide. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin, you're guilty of breaking the law. Next verse. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must, not commit, uh, you must not murder. So if you murder somebody but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Okay, what is he talking about now? Adultery, murder? Okay, look, look, look. He's, he's riffing on his brother. He's borrowing from Jesus. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus, in, 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 in a very famous public teaching, if you're new to church and you didn't know this, Jesus, in a very uh, famous public teaching, mentions those two sins specifically. He connects them. James connects them. Jesus earlier said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Everyone knows killing is kind of out of bounds, right? You've heard it said, you shouldn't murder, but I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, if you call him a fool, you're in dangers of the fire of hell. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them. These are impossible teachings. Now, when Jesus said that, he didn't mean, okay, now I expect you to walk the earth treating yourself like a murderer and an adulterer. Jesus was saying, there's no hope through behavior. You can't simply refrain from killing people and refrain from committing adultery and refrain from stealing and refrain from lying and claim that you now live some sort of a holy life. What Jesus is saying is, you've broken one part of the law, you broke all of it. It's hopeless. You don't get into heaven through good behavior. You don't need self-improvement. You need a savior. You don't need self-improvement. You don't just get better and try to make yourself better and improve your way out of this. You need a savior. And now James, it's not an accident that James is mentioning the same two sins, adultery and murder, in his, in his epistle, in his letter to the church. 
James is saying the ground before the cross is level. You guys are trying to distinguish between whose sin is worse. You're trying to say, okay, well, yes, we've, we've committed adultery, but they committed murder. Okay, I don't know who the they are, whatever they're doing, but like our sin, yes, we understand we have sin. We understand that we struggle, but our sin isn't as bad as their sin. Our sin isn't as gross as their sin. Our sin is not as heinous and detestable to God as their sin is. So, 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 so we're going to draw lines and we're going to say we're in and they're out because our sin isn't as bad as their sin. And James is just here to blow that up with like a nuclear bomb and go, no, 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 and no, that's wrong. The ground before the cross is, say it with me, level. The ground before the cross is level. Whoever that people group is that you're hoping never shows up to church, you need Jesus just as much as they do, if not more. That's what's going on. That's what James is saying. So, so, so check your heart is where he's going. You think it's okay, you just say, oh, well, well we only broke this little part of the law. We, this is our little sin. We're okay with our little sin because everybody has sinned and fallen short. We're just going to admit, riffing on the, his brother Jesus, hey, you understand the adultery murder thing, right? If you're angry, if you've ever looked at somebody with lust, that's everybody. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. So, we don't need self-improvement, we need a savior, and we need to quit looking at others' sin as somehow different or worse than ours. Amen. As we, thank you, sir. As you, as you start to look around the world around you, as you start to connect with the world around you, as you start to discern insiders and outsiders, who's a part of it, who's not. Check your heart. James has a short fuse for those who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. This is verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? Can you hear the sarcasm dripping from him? I love that there's sarcasm in the Bible. It makes me feel affirmed. Okay, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there's one God, good for you. <laughs> it's just, James, this is James. Oh, oh, you finally came around to the fact that there's one God? Let me just slow clap it up for you. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Mm. You almost want James to slow down because it's so, so, so intense. Okay, so suppose you pass somebody on the street 
and this may not apply to you if you don't walk along the streets a lot, but suppose you encounter someone in your life who's in need, who has need of some kind, and you say, okay, cool, have a great day, take care of yourself, drive safe, be well, but you don't do anything to address the need? What good is that? Where's your faith? Faith should result in good works, yes? Yeah, that's a yes. Now, some of you might be getting a little confused. Some of you may have a little theological question mark above your head. Some of you might be giving me a little... Because you've heard me say that we're saved by faith alone. We're saved by grace alone. That works doesn't come into it, and that's absolutely true. We are not granted forgiveness of our sins because we earn it. We don't have to, we don't have to do good deeds to cancel out sins on some cosmic scale. Simply not how it works. We receive forgiveness as a free gift. But if we've received forgiveness as a free gift, if our sins have been forgiven, and if we're made new, and we're connected to God, and that doesn't result in some kind of outward-bound living, check the connection. Jiggle the cord. The internet may have cut out. Like, if you're not connecting to God, that, okay, so... People, he he makes the argument. Did you hear him? James sets up the argument that some might bring against him. He addresses those who might criticize his teaching. James says, oh, some may say, this one has faith, this one has good deeds. James is saying, no, 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 no. I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. So you say, you say, I honor God. I'll leave it to someone else to love others and serve all. James is saying, I'll show you how I honor God by the way I love others and serve all. Were were you guys here in the first service? Did you stay for two services? I'm getting the same amens at the same time. I like it. You guys are here for, stay for the third one. Okay, so. So, I'll show you the way I honor God by the way I love others and serve all. And this, this I, I said this in one of our three services last week. I'm going to drop it again this week because I think it was worth saying. I've known way too many. We're talking about application, going deeper, yeah? I've known way too many people in my life. Been going to Bible study for years, and they're still mean. I've known way too many people in my life. Been going to Bible study for decades. Refuse to tithe. Will not Simply will not. They want to learn and learn and learn, but they don't want to yield. They're not willing to make sacrifices that others may have. They're not willing to personally do without so that another might be blessed. Oh, there's no faith in that. That is simply the increase of knowledge. And you know what the scripture says? Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge will just puff you. You want to blow up your head and gain knowledge? Take a course on the internet. There's plenty of education to be found out there. You want to apply love? Get to work. Start love. And who? Who? Honor God and love others. Who's the people group who you hope never shows up at True North? They are other to you. They are the other. There's us 
and them. Except there is no us and them. Except that that dichotomy doesn't exist except in your head. And if you want to honor God, you better learn to to love not just others, but you better learn to love the other. Those who maybe don't think like you or act like you or vote like you or whatever like you, insert for you the people group that's in your head. Those are God's beloved sons and daughters. And there is no... There is a dangerous, dangerous circling of the wagons happening within Christianity right now. And it offends the heart of God. This us and them thing, where James is here going, no, this cannot be in our kingdom. This cannot be in our gathering. This can't be a part of us. This is not what my brother came to do. We're called to honor God by the way that we love not just others, we love our neighbor. And who is my neighbor? The other. Those who you hope never show up. How would you treat that person or those people if they came here to join your little group? This is hard teaching. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you and we praise your holy name and we're grateful because it's challenging us but we're convicted because we fall short. None of us, myself included, Father, I count myself in this, none of us gets this right all the time. We all struggle with this. We all have insiders and outsiders in our head. Father, we want to change. We want to be the living, breathing representation of Jesus Christ on this planet. We want to love the world around us and serve the world around us and reflect you well. For that to happen, Father, we're going to have to get out of our own way. We're going to have to learn to make sacrifices. We're going to have to challenge ourselves and think and maybe behave in ways we've never done before that you might be glorified, that you might be reflected to the world around us, and that your church might be a shining reflection, a beacon to others, your light being reflected out to, to the world around us. Father, in a world that is growing darker every day, May we be that reflection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.